Hey, how's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode number 37 of Chris's on Infinite Earths here at the Chris and Reggie channel. Um, you can find this show, uh, well, whenever it comes out, I guess. Uh, we're two weeks in a row. I don't want to, you know, throw any babies up in the air just yet and say it's weekly again, but uh, yeah, so far, so good. We've got two episodes under our belt in two weeks, so uh, I guess better than not, at least uh, for me. <laughs> um, you can find this program at chrisandreggie.podbean.com, on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and... Uh, you know, all the places where, where noise resides, you'll be able to find this. And uh, today, we're going to be discussing a little discussed and uh, maybe even little known uh, DC Comics oddity from 2002. It's a uh, book called Big Daddy Danger. Now, this is a story about a uh, superhero uh, professional wrestler. And I could think of no better way, or actually no other way altogether, to where I could shoehorn a little bit of discussion about my personal life and my life and times in professional wrestling. Uh, I, not many people who, uh, who know me from my comics, commentary, writing, and, and recording, uh, know that I did indulge in professional wrestling for, uh, you know, about six months. <laughs> I had a very long and storied career um, yeah, between the ropes. But uh, I, I don't usually tell these stories, and uh, I don't really have a place to tell these stories. So I figure, hey, kill two birds with one stone. I can tell people about a very strange DC comic called Big Daddy Danger, and I can also uh, you know, be a little self-indulgent and tell a story about... Uh, what happened to me when I tried getting into professional wrestling and the few times I actually wrestled professionally. So, uh, uh, if this is, uh, if you're not a wrestling fan, if you don't care about wrestling, I, you know, this might not be the episode for you, but, uh, if you do, or if you're just interested in hearing about all the stupid crap I put my body through, uh, as a late teen, um, then this might just be right up your alley. So, uh, let's get right into... Uh, the story of my life and times in professional wrestling. Now, uh, I've been a fan, or, you know, I, I, I call myself a fan these days, though I really don't watch wrestling as much anymore. Um, I, do, uh, I do cover the uh, WWE pay-per-views over on the Rattledge and Broadcasting Network with, uh, with Mark and uh, Chris Bailey. And uh, I think... Like, what I do now, it's like I watch out of inertia, or or I just out of habit. Um, it just uh, doesn't feel right not to watch. I think that's a lot of consumable fandom. Um, you know, even you know, a lot of the comics that I still buy, it's just like I buy them because I've always bought them. I may not be reading them, and if I am reading them, I may not be enjoying them, but it's just what I do. So... Pro wrestling, I, I was very, very hot on pro wrestling growing up, uh, obsessed even, to where now it's kind of just a something that I talk about once or twice a month on another show, um, and really just uh, can't can't really find myself getting all that hot and bothered about it. I can't get too mad at it, and I can't get too excited about it. It's just something that. Uh, it's very passive nowadays. Um, back in the day, though, I was all about it. Um, comics and pro wrestling were basically my entire life. Um, 
you might hear stories from uh, old wrestling fans from back in the you know mid '90s where you had those Monday Night Wars and you had two shows on at the very same time, and you'd hear that you know you'd change a channel during the commercials or you'd flip back and forth every few seconds. I took that one step further. Um, I actually had two televisions and two VCRs set up. Uh, so I would run down the hallway every few minutes to see what was going on on the other channel, even though I was recording both shows. Uh, I was very obsessed, and I would watch these things over and over and over again. Um, you know, it's just like in the early days of my comic fandom, I would read the same issues over and over and over again. Uh, I, I've got this weird thing when I'm a fan of something. I I don't know if it's a, it's if it's some sort of obsessive trait or... Maybe I just don't know how to calibrate, but uh, I always want to be part of what it is that I love, you know? When uh, I got into comics, I wanted to make comics. You know, I wanted to be part of it. I wanted to, in some way, be a part of this industry I loved. And it was the same thing with professional wrestling. I wanted to be a part of it. Uh, I didn't care how, but I wanted to be a part of it. I, I wanted to write about it. I wanted to talk about it. I wanted to be in the ring. And uh, that is uh, kind of where we're heading here. Um, I wanted to be in the ring, and I was a very, very small dude. I was a small kid. Um, I've told the stories before about, uh, you know, trying to put on weight and uh, how eventually I would put on weight, but uh, not in the tone, tone and muscle sort of way, but more in the uh, diabetes and uh, have to catch your breath going up the flight of stairs kind of way. Uh, which I'm, I'm getting over now, or I've gotten over, but I always had a hard time gaining weight. And uh, so I never thought that being a, a wrestler was something that would be, uh, you know, in my future. I just thought that, uh, you know, you were you were born a big guy, <laughs> or, uh, or you were born a small guy, and I was born a small guy. Uh, you see, on, on television back then... Uh, you know, you couldn't be a wrestler if you were under six foot. Uh, you couldn't be a main eventer if you were under six foot five. And here I am at five ten. Uh, you know, that, that's that's like senior year of high school. I was five ten when I was first falling in love with this industry and wanting to be a part of it. I was, you know, five one, five nothing. <laughs> you know, and I was eighty pounds. I, I there was just no way. Um, but I was still obsessed. I, I still wanted to do something in it. I I remember working out uh, for, you know, I when you see a little kid working out, there's like this, like kind of like, oh, you know, look, <laughs> you know, what do what do they say in the South? Bless his heart, you know, because uh, <laughs> there's a lot more to to building muscle than just lifting weights. Uh, you need to. You need to up your caloric intake. You need to eat leaner foods. You need to up your protein. There's a lot of, lot of, a lot of things to it that when you're a, you know, a dumb junior high school kid who just wants, you know, some sort of musculature, uh, there's a lot more to it than just lifting, you know, the eight pound weights, the eight pound dumbbells <laughs> that you got for Christmas. Um, but I do remember upgrading from those eight pound weights. I bought a, uh, a Joe Weider um, uh, weight set, and uh, it was it was like 120 pounds total. Uh, had two bars, or, or maybe it was three bars. Maybe it was two like short bars for for curls and one big bar for uh, 
for, you know, like a dumbbell, like for benches, you know, bench presses. And uh, I remember saving up for it and I couldn't get a ride up to, to buy it. So I actually walked uh, like three miles up to the sports authority uh, up on Sunrise Highway um, in the, uh, in the Kmart and nobody beats the Wiz parking lot. And uh, I bought this Joe Weta uh, set and I had to carry the damn thing home <laughs> and I had to stop. Like 10 times to catch my breath Because I'm carrying, you know, 120 pounds plus a couple of bars And uh, I must have looked like the, you know, the, the silliest little twerp on the planet But uh, I, I wanted to, I wanted to gain mass And I didn't realize that there was more to it than just lifting weights Because if you're not putting everything that needs to be in your body into your body You're, you're I mean, you're toning bone at that point, you know, uh and, I, you know, I had some pretty toned bones, but uh, not a whole lot to show for it. <laughs> it was just, uh, I was a late bloomer in a lot of ways. And uh, and I was also uh, very stupid in the ways of uh, of gaining weight and putting on mass. And uh, just making myself uh, a little bit bigger than uh, than I was naturally, I guess, or, or organically without putting much effort into it. You know, there were kids in school who, like, they didn't work out, but they were still big. You know, <laughs> and I, I just wasn't that guy. Um, I, uh, I would watch, uh, everything I could on professional wrestling. And, uh, during the mid nineties, there was this little boom, uh, of locally a little boom about, uh, uh, something that would eventually be called backyard wrestling. This wasn't really, I don't even think it was named that yet. It was just, you know, you'd get together with your friends and you'd put on a fake wrestling show. You'd put on a little, little, uh, a little series about, you know. Um, and I remember me and a group of my friends got into doing just that. And, uh, you know, basically what we did was we would mimic what we saw on TV. Um, you know, they, a lot of the wrestling shows will tell you, don't try this at home, but that's exactly what we did. You know, we did a lot of the high spots, a lot of the, uh, just a lot of the signature moves that you'd see on TV. We would try them out and, uh, we were just a bunch of pipsqueaks. So we would throw each other around and it would, uh, it would just be, uh, all around silliness, <laughs> you know, um, and occasionally you'd get hurt, but, uh, you know, back then it was, you believed a lot in in the the concept of paying dues, you know, even though nobody was seeing this crap. It's like you felt you were like investing in a way. Like every every bump to the head was an investment, which is the stupidest stupidest thing. Um, but it's kind of how we felt. It was like a like a mark, a badge of honor to uh, be hurt, um, which sounds so stupid, and it really is. Uh, we would, uh, do all sorts of stupid crap. Um, <laughs> I would eventually turn my group of friends on to, uh, ECW. ECW Extreme Championship Wrestling is, it was a smaller outfit that was on television locally at, uh, 2 a.m. on Sunday night, Monday morning, uh, on the MSG channel, or the Prime Network, which was part of the MSG channel, or at least was uh, a programming block on the MSG channel, and uh, I was uh, the guy who would, I would go through like the New York Newsday TV guide every single week, and I would read it cover to cover, looking for anything I could find that was wrestling. 
I, I've told the story before about how I would do that with uh, trying to find Laurel and Hardy movies. And I, I did the same thing with uh, wrestling. And I would look up any sort of wrestling I could find, and I would stay up all hours of the night to watch it. And I would also tape it, which, you know, <laughs> I don't know why I had to stay up to watch, but I did anyway. So a lot of garbage, so a lot of fun stuff. Um, but that's how I discovered uh, that ECW was a thing. Uh, they didn't label it as what it was. Um, I guess whoever was putting together the TV guide at Newsday didn't really didn't differentiate. They didn't care what company was making the show. So it would just say wrestling. And uh, you would see that throughout the TV guide. You know, you would see, you know, Thursday at 1 a.m., wrestling. You know, you'd stay up and watch it, or you would tape it, or you'd do both. And uh, and I came across uh, ECW that way. I think the only thing they ever differentiated was sometimes it would say WWF wrestling. But even then, it was a crapshoot as to if it, whether or not it was going to be WWF. <laughs> it could have been anything. Um but I remember watching and taping ECW and showing it to my friends. And uh, these guys, I mean, they, they, you know, they, they busted their humps. But uh, for the most part, they didn't look like the guys you would see on the, uh, the main, more mainstream wrestling shows. These guys weren't chiseled out of stone. You know, these guys didn't look like living and breathing action figures. These guys were... There were some schlubby dudes in there. There were some fat guys in there. There were some skinny kids wearing, like, motocross outfits there. And uh, that's what told us, or told me, that you didn't need to be huge to do this. Um, Because even, like, WCW at the time, they were bringing in uh, the luchadors. And they were small dudes for the most part. But they they they, they were very athletic. They were in awesome shape. The guys in ECW, not so much. Not all of them. I mean, some of them were, of course. But uh, some of them were just... They looked like they could have been me. They looked like they could have been me and my friends. uh, Just uh, playing wrestler. And uh, that's when I started to become a little bit more serious about the possibility of, uh, of doing something like this. Of actually getting in the ring. Actually having matches. Actually making a, a go at... Uh, you know, making a career out of this, which you're sitting here <laughs> as a 40-year-old man uh, who is probably in better shape today than I was as a teenager. It's so silly to consider that uh, that these were possibilities in my head, that I was so consumed that I thought that this was actually going to be something I could do. Uh, I... I couldn't. I couldn't do it now. I, I. I. Back then, even. Even less so. And uh, it's just. It's kind of silly to reflect. It's fun to reflect on uh, the uh, wide-eyed optimism that comes with uh, adolescence. And uh, uh, there's, there's like that. That weird romantic notion that anything's possible. And that uh, I think uh, last time out we talked about uh, Commissioner Gordon and how he. Uh, he made, uh, you know, suggestions that every day, you know, the window gets a little bit, uh, the, the, the window of opportunity closes a little bit. You know, every stage of life, it changes, and you have less options moving forward. And, uh, you know, going back to being in high school and thinking that I could, uh, I could be a professional wrestler, 
you know, at, at my, you know, at my staggering five foot three and 90 pounds, uh, it's, it's funny to think about because, uh, you know, those, those windows, they do shut and mine absolutely did shut. But, uh, back to the backyard, uh, we would, we would put on shows. Sometimes we would record them. Uh, sometimes we wouldn't, uh, sometimes it was just, uh, for fun. I, I mean, it was always just for fun, <laughs> but, uh, sometimes we would actually record it. We would, uh, we would actually put them on, uh, on film. And uh, we would re- rewatch them, and we would actually dub in. Uh, we would dub in commentary on our own matches. We would put on funny voices and uh, we commentate, and we would call moves and try to get storylines across, and so much silly stuff. And it was so much fun. Um, I remember we were in me and one of my friends from that group. We were in a uh, TV film production class, which was. So primitive compared to what we have now. It was a, uh, you know, it was like a tape, a couple of tape decks and like a dial, <laughs> and you would, and you would like make, basically the entire class was making a mixtape. You know, you would, uh, you would film something or you would mix it with, you know, a bunch of, uh, you'd make like a music video. And I remember we did that with our wrestling and stuff. I, I remember I did it. We were supposed to do like stop motion and. Uh, and we did, uh, oh no, it wasn't stop motion. It was, we weren't supposed to do stop motion, we just did stop motion. We were supposed to do a, uh, our final was a, was a video letter to the graduates. You know, we wanted to, it was, you know, a way to say good luck to the, to the, to the seniors who were graduating. And me and my friend made a stop motion G.I. Joe battle. Where, uh, we were trying to, <laughs> we said, we said, uh, you know, good luck, join the army or something like that. It was so dumb, but, uh. <laughs> We we made this stop motion GI Joe uh, music video uh, of a of a stupid battle, and uh, we we did we also you know we would commandeer these primitive dial based video screen things to uh, to edit some of our uh, wrestling matches. We'd come in during lunch or we'd come in before school started, and we would just play with the machines because we'd have access to them, and. Uh, and so, so sometimes we would just put, you know, commentary and, and little bits and pieces. And sometimes we'd put, like, words up on the screen to introduce people or we'd put music to it. We just had a lot of fun with it. During uh, senior year, we were building up to this massive, <laughs> massive main event card that uh, actually never came to be because I moved right after, uh, right after high school. So we didn't get to do that one. Uh, I visited a year later, and I, I talked about this on a previous episode, how I, I came back um, to the old stomping grounds a year later, and uh, we were supposed to uh, do this, this you know, big card, this uh, WrestleMania caliber event, and it just, it never happened, unfortunately, uh, we couldn't, uh, the stars didn't align, <laughs> and the figurative and literal stars didn't align, so we couldn't uh, couldn't get it done. So it was uh, one of those unfinished things, but uh, I remember in the lead-up to my move, uh, and, and I've talked about the move before at great length, uh, this won't be you know a repeat of that, I remember trying to find anything I could about what I might be able to get into in Arizona. And to compare Arizona to New York, I mean, there isn't a comparison. Um, there really isn't a comparison with, uh, 
as it pertains to opportunity, as it pertains to just things to do in general. Um, I mean, even, you know, if you go... If you go to your, you know, Wizard Magazine box right now and start flipping through, go to the end of each issue and look at the the convention listings. I don't think I've ever seen one in Arizona. I don't think I've ever seen an Arizona convention listing in any of those because I did look through them before we came out here just thinking like, oh, well, maybe there'll be something I could do. And uh, there isn't, you know. And also, I was a huge fan of uh, Pro Wrestling Illustrated, which was the... It was kind of like, like the Usenet of uh, of professional wrestling magazines. It wasn't branded to any one company. It was more just a a catch-all for professional wrestling. Uh, you'd have you know the the mainstream pr- promotions in there, and you'd also have the independent stuff in there, and you'd get reports from uh, shows from all over the place. And I remember flipping through those, looking for shows that took place in Arizona, and it it was like nothing. Um, where every month it seemed like there were dozens in the New York area. And uh, just, you know, because it is a much larger market. So I really wasn't optimistic about my chances coming out here. And, uh, you know, we ultimately did, of course. And I set to trying to find, you know, a clique, you know, a group of people who were into wrestling. And this was 1997, so wrestling was starting to become... Uh, more mainstream, so you were getting a lot more like a, a resurgence in popularity for the the business overall, where you'd have like lapsed fans coming back because there was some buzz, or you'd have uh, new people just discovering it because there was you know a buzz. But uh, I remember trying to find you know like-minded, uh, stupid people <laughs> in in the area, people who wanted to not just you know, watch the stuff, but uh, be part of it. And uh, back then, we were on, you know, dial-up AOL. So the only way you could find other people, uh, you know, I don't even know if, I'm, maybe Google wasn't a, even a thing yet. I think the, I think my search engine of choice was like Excite, <laughs> Excite.com or something like that. But uh, to find folks who uh, might want to, who were into this as much as I was and wanted to actually pursue it as as a career option or just as a side thing, I had to search the profiles on AOL. Now, on AOL, you'd have your screen name, and you could have a profile, and you could set your profile. I don't even think you could set it to not be searchable. Um, but you'd put your interests, and you'd put what you're into, and you'd put your occupation, and you'd put your age, all sorts of stuff. Uh, you'd you'd put a stupid quote at the end of it, you know, all that silly stuff that we've uh, that uh, I think we kind of see as passe right now. Um, but I remember looking for people who wanted to, who like listed their occupation as professional wrestler, you know, something like that, or or professional wrestling trainee, or all sorts of silly stuff, and uh, happened to come across uh, one guy, one guy who lived um, nowadays probably about. A half hour away from me But back then before The freeway system was uh, improved It was probably closer to an hour Because it was a lot of street driving um, So he, he lived A decent length away And I, I still live I probably live like within three or four miles Of where we moved to When we first came here I, I kind of stuck to this uh, This northwest Peoria <laughs> area 
Um, but this fella was out in Scottsdale, which I've talked about Scottsdale before. I don't need to re-dredge that. But uh, but nowadays, it's it's a quicker trip because the freeway goes right to it. But back then, the freeway wasn't built yet. So we talked for a little bit, and he hooked me up with his promoter. Now, his promoter lived somewhere in the Midwest. And uh, and I met up with uh, this uh, this fella, this uh, this kid. I mean, we were both kids. But I met up with him a few times, and he was telling me that, you know, oh, this this promoter, he's he's trying to extend, expand his business out to Arizona. And I thought, oh, well, this is excellent. You know, I'm on the ground floor. I can, you know, get in with this group, and I could, you know, do stuff in, in locally. You know, I could just, maybe every weekend or once a month, I can actually have a match. And uh, keeping in mind, I've had zero training. I've had zero training, and I was built like a rail. You know, I was built like olive oil. Um, so zero training, <laughs> very, very thin, very, very slight. And, uh, for, you know, no no real ability. Uh, I had, uh, I could mimic things I saw on television. Uh, when I when me and my friends got into ECW, we got really into hitting each other with, like, cookie sheets because it made a really cool noise. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, technically, I mean, I could do moves, but I've never actually done them. You know, it's like I knew how to put on a figure four leg lock, but I've never actually been in a match and done it. Um, or a, you know, real, quote unquote, real match where we weren't, you know, taking several shots to get something done. Um, so he sets up, he, he sets me up with this guy and I send him an, or he sent me an email Saying that he was, he really wanted to meet me, and he really wanted to get uh, this promotion going. And I was like, "Oh, this is great! You know, this is awesome! Now this is, this is my shot." And this was probably 1998, so the business, the professional wrestling business, was in a boom period. You know, people were just loving everything wrestling. Wrestling was just huge business. You couldn't. I mean, you couldn't go to a store without seeing a pro wrestling t-shirt, or you couldn't go to the mall without seeing a bunch of kids wearing, like, NWO t-shirts or Steve Austin t-shirts. So it was a huge thing. And so I figured, you know, this is just, it just made sense. It stood to reason that, you know, there'd be an expansion into Arizona, even just by a little group. So, you know, a few weeks go by, and then I get an email saying that dude's coming to town. He's coming to town, he wants to meet up, and he's going to meet up with a bunch of us and try to put something together. Cool. Okay. So, guy arrives in town and calls me up, and he wants me to meet him at his hotel. And if you think this story is headed in a certain direction, it is. So, so, me being a wide-eyed innocent who was desperate to get into this business, said, okay. He's like, oh yeah, you know, meet me at the hotel. There's a bunch of guys. We're gonna we're gonna put together a card. We're gonna try to get something going on here. And I'm 18 years old. I'm an idiot. So I go and I meet this guy, and uh, he meets me in the lobby of this hotel or motel actually. And he's like, oh, you know, the rest of the guys are uh, they're they're grabbing some pizza. And so we headed to the room. Nobody there. Me and this guy. And. Uh, yeah, uh, my my uh, antenna went up. You know, I was like, okay, this is not, this isn't, this isn't good. <laughs> this isn't right. And uh, he's like, well, while we wait, he's like, I want to take some pictures of you. 
for your uh, for your contract or for your license, for my pro wrestling license, a thing that doesn't exist anymore. And I'm like, okay. And he, he hands me a Speedo. Now, a Speedo that I think it would make a... I, I think it had less fabric than a eye patch. I mean, a lot of us are wearing face masks these days, and I think this thing had le- it definitely had less fabric than a, than a basic face mask. Um, and he hands it to me, and he's like, yeah, just change into that, and I'll take some pictures. And I was like, hmm, no... And uh, I was like, I'm not, I'm not doing that. You know, there's no way I'm doing that. It's like, you take a picture of me with my clothes on. I'm not, I'm not doing that. And uh, he got annoyed and it told me that I was passing up a tremendous opportunity. And I was just like, I, dude, I'm not doing this. This is weird. Uh, I don't know anything about you. You've got, I've got no credentials on you. I don't know. I mean, you, you're just a dude from out of state. You're just a weird dude from out of state who wants to snap pictures of me. And uh, so I left. I walked out. Um, but it's just so... It's such a weird thing. I mean, this is so predatory. And it's preying on the desperation of people just like me. People who wanted to get into this business and people who wanted to, you know, get a, get a head start in... Professional wrestling And I mean Like I said I, I'm a small dude uh, I've never wrestled a match before I had zero training And uh, And it's just It shows It goes to show That if this dude tried this with me He probably It probably Happened many times before And he was successful You know He probably was successfully able to do this To get To get You know These desperate kids To you know, put... Ugh, gross. Uh, you know, it, it, I've never told this story before. <laughs> it's, uh... Yeah, telling it, it's very, very embarrassing. Uh, I've never I've never actually told this story before. Um... So, yeah, I left. I left. I had the... I had the, uh... Wherewithal to leave. Um, but I, I, I... I'd probably be lying if I... If I said I, I didn't consider it for a half second, because I, I really wanted to, I wanted to get into this business, and uh, I remember meeting up with that kid in Scottsdale again. Um, we were going to a show. We went to a show together. Uh, this was a WCW show. Um, they generally came to our area uh, late October because they had an event. Uh, called Halloween Havoc that was in Las Vegas. So their next night of television, they would usually come to the Phoenix area. So we went to that show, and I remember asking him, like, like, did you meet this guy in a hotel? And he said, yeah. And I'm like, did he take any pictures of you? He said, yeah. I'm like, did you wear the Speedo? He said, yeah. I'm like, you didn't think that was weird? He's like, well, I asked him if he was a pervert, and he said no. And I'm like, dude... <laughs> Uh, what is he gonna say? Yes. Uh, it was, it was just confirmation that this worked, that this weird creep was preying on desperation and hope and optimism of uh, of these you know dumb kids. I mean, he, me, and him were the same age. He was probably maybe he was a year older, so he might have been nineteen. But I mean. 
this creepy bastard went, you know, took pictures of, of him. Uh, and I mean, this was a very, very tiny outfit. Um, so I, I was like, I, I kind of told him like this, you know, that wasn't right. You know, this is, this is weird. You know, you need to, we need to like dissociate from this guy. We need to do something. So he started sending emails about, you know, asking him for some identification. Because we didn't even have that. I mean, this dude, he gave us a name. Who knows if it was his name? He told us where he's from. Who knows if that's where he's from? This is uh, just like, you know, this is like a Stranger Danger after-school special about the the dangers of the internet. You know, Chris Hansen should have popped out uh, of the closet at this point, or of the bathroom. Um, But... He so uh, this my buddy started sending him emails asking for some identification and stuff, and suddenly, like clockwork, or this dude, uh, this dude stopped replying to emails. He deleted his email account. Uh, he was just gone. He was in. He was in the vapor. You know, he was just done. So, uh, I mean, I guess that's more confirmation that this dude was uh, nefarious. He was up to no good. He was just uh, trying to uh, exploit uh, the. The hopes and dreams of uh, of wide-eyed innocent kids, um, and uh, oof, yeah, I, I really I haven't even thought of that story in a while, at least not to that extent. But yeah, it's a uh, it's something in it. Um, oof, I, and I who knows if this dude continued doing that stuff. Um, very very weird. Uh, I'm just glad that that I. You know, wasn't so desperate that I did it, um, because that would have been uh, that would have been something. Um, especially, you know, this this dude it was confirmed. This dude was not up to any good. So, moving on, uh, me and my buddy, we kept at it. We kept looking for places locally that would uh, that would let us have matches. That would let, maybe hire us for some gigs and. Uh, I remember we practiced our, you know, magnum opus match um, in his backyard. Uh, So I was in a different backyard doing wrestling, and we put on... We wanted to have a 10-minute match because uh, he wanted it to be a time limit draw. I didn't have any problem losing a match if it was going to, you know, if it was going to make us both look good. I didn't have a problem losing a match, but he wanted it to go a full 10 minutes. Ten minutes doesn't sound like a long time. When you don't have any wind, when you don't have any cardio, ten minutes is a hell of a long time. And uh, it, it'll you'll get gassed pretty quick um, if you don't if you don't pace yourself for a match. Um, if you've never wrestled a match or even had to play a fake ass wrestling match in a backyard, there's a lot that goes into it from an aerobic standpoint and. Uh, you know, you you, you got to recover from being thrown down. You got to fall a certain way. If you fall the wrong way and you get up to keep going, you're going to pay for it later. It's There's a lot to it. And so to put on a full 10-minute match was a, was, a, uh, was a challenge. But we spent weeks and months perfecting this one match. We had one match. Um, there was like zero room for error 
<laughs> we couldn't we couldn't ad lib at all because we had this thing like down pat. Uh, we had notes, <laughs> we had written notes to to keep us on track, um, and we kept kind of like shopping around. We kept looking for somewhere that would uh, that would have matches and. Uh, I got an email from my buddy one day, and he said that he found a place way across town. So this is this place was in the southeast valley, so southeast of Phoenix. I don't remember which city it was in, uh, Mesa or Chandler or something like that. But uh, there was one guy who had a ring, and he was renting out a storage facility. So uh, there was a ring inside a storage facility, and... Uh, I think this was probably the spring or early summer of 1999 uh, Because I had started working nights Um, I started working nights in the spring of 99 So it was probably early summer of 99 And uh, so we were going to drive down to the This dude, there was no phone number or anything There was just, we knew that there was a ring there Um, So we drove down to Mesa, which was a long trip because, again, the freeway system wasn't what it is now in Arizona. So this was probably like an hour and a half to even longer drive one way. And we get there. We find this facility. We find this uh, this uh, storage locker with a wrestling ring in it. And it was a pretty decent-sized storage locker. I mean, for a storage locker, it was pretty damn nice. And, I mean, I mean, it's as far as storage lockers go. And... Uh, we met up with this guy who was uh, training a couple of guys, a couple of kids, and uh, I remember this. This was the first time I ac- actually got inside a ring and uh, was able to run the ropes and stuff. And uh, the first thing that hit me was the smell. Uh, this ring stunk. Uh, this storage facility had like a fan in it. And this was Arizona in the early summer. I'm, I'm, it was hot. It was hot. That's all I can remember. It was hot and it stunk. Like if you ever did, if you ever had a basement and you did like an hour's worth of you know aerobic and uh, weight training in your in your musty basement, it was like that smell, but worse. Uh, it was really, really rough. So uh, we talked, we chat this dude up, and we talk about maybe. Putting on our magnum opus 10-minute match to uh, to win him over. Now, keeping in mind, we had zero training still, I want to reiterate. And, uh, I mean, not something that would happen today, because I think uh, there's too much liability uh, these days where... And this was only 20 years ago, but I think just people are a little bit more worried about being sued <laughs> nowadays than they were back then, so... The guy let us put on a match in his ring. Two kids he's never seen before. Uh, one pudgy, one thin as a rail. Zero training. Um, we didn't have gear. We didn't have gear with us. We had some gear, which was lame. But uh, we didn't have any gear with us. And he let us put on a match in our like jeans and t-shirts. And uh, I had my glasses flying all over the place. So we're putting on a match. And we put on... we. Do our normal match, and we get like five minutes into it, and he's like, "Up, oh, I've seen enough. You guys are great." It's like, "Okay, cool." And, and you know, hearing that as a desperate, you know, wannabe wrestler, we're just like, "Oh man, we're in. You know, we're in. We got this." 
and uh, so we were we were put in a we were put in a match to to start, and it was a, a battle royal, which is where like everybody's in the ring at once, and you got to get thrown over the top rope to uh, to be eliminated, and it's really kind of the the best way to start because you know nobody's really watching you. It's just a crowd of people pounding on each other and throwing each other over. Um, and, I mean, for the show, I think we had a, a sellout crowd of, like, 12 people <laughs> who came to see the show. But, uh, you know, we had, uh, it was just me and uh, me and my buddy just, you know, we basically just, like, played in the corner of the ring until one of us got thrown out. It was, uh, it was just, you know, a, a good time. It was kind of a culmination of, uh, of you know, all those years of wanting to do it. And uh, for me, I was kind of, uh, I, having done it, I was kind of over it. I was like, okay, I did it, you know. And uh, at this point, I was working, you know, f- I was working full-time overnights. And it was like, yeah, I, I have stuff that's, I have stuff in my life right now. So, uh, so I really wasn't as... I wasn't as lost in the uh, the business as my buddy was, but uh, I was still willing to 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 do it every once in a while. I was still willing to, you know, if they had a show every month, I would I, I'd have no problem, you know, showing up and, and doing doing a little match or something. Um, so jump ahead probably a month or two. Uh, I think we had, I think we were in a couple of battle royals. I know we were in at least two. Um, but then finally, we got our singles match, and uh, we were going to open the show, and they wanted it to be uh, the full ten minute match, you know, with the the full ten minutes, and they wanted to start it off, start to show off like a, a kind of action packed. They wanted me because I was a smaller one to kind of like fly around, you know, just to bounce and and sell. And just uh, do as much as I could off the top ropes. I had never been to the top rope before. Which, I mean, liability. You know, when you're on the top rope, it might not look too high. But, you know, if you're on the top rope and you look down to the floor, you're pretty damn high. And more on that in a little bit. So, uh, I was told, you know, do some high flying. <laughs> and uh, in the heat of the moment, it's, it's, it's easier to do it if you're not thinking about it. So I was able to do a little bit, uh, but we'll, we'll definitely get into that. They wanted the match to end with some sort of spectacular spot. They wanted to start the show off hot, and uh, so I remember trying to figure out what this spot would be, and especially since it, we we were still going to this time limit draw for whatever dumb reason. He, you know, we we were doing this time limit thing. So ten minutes, the bell was going to ring at ten minutes. Oh, it's a draw. Yada yada yada. Um, so, I'm looking around for something spectacular, and uh, I mentioned that this ring was in a storage facility, and not too far from the ring, there was like a ventilation shelf. It was like a a metal cube, a metal square that was coming out of uh, like the side of side wall, and it had a vent on the end of it. And I thought, you know, I could if I could get up there. If I can get up on... And this thing was probably... Eh, maybe 10 feet off the ground. So, I mean... If you jumped from the... If you reached from 
the, if you got to the top rope and you reached out, you could probably tap this shelf. So it wasn't like it was like a huge distance away. So I figured, okay, you know, we can get to like the nine minute and thirty second, you know, mark of the match. If I could get up to that shelf, that vent shelf, if that thing can hold me, I can get up there, I can dive off of it, back into the ring, onto this guy, and we would just lay out for the last 15 seconds of the match. And uh, there's our hot ending, yada yada, bada bing, <laughs> good, jo- good job, right? So um, I, I tried it. I pulled myself up there, and uh, this thing was very, very solid. So I was able to be held up there. Um, and I was able to jump from there back into the ring. So I was like, okay, we got this. I ran it past uh, you know, everybody involved, and everybody thought it was a great idea. And uh, it was not a great idea. But we'll get to that. <laughs> we jump ahead to the, uh, the match. And uh, it was the first time I actually used entrance music, which is... It's pretty cool. I, I used uh, Machine Head by Bush, uh, or Bush X for our Canadian friends. Um, I used Machine Head to come out, and uh, my buddy used, God, like a Smash Mouth song, I think. Something like that. I don't. I think it was a Smash Mouth song. Couldn't tell you which one. They all kind of sound the same. But uh, we had our match, right? And... Uh, and we were both sweating. I mean, it was hot in there. We were both exhausted after going, you know, for an extended period of time. Neither of us had the adequate wind to have a 10-minute match. Uh, neither of us had the training. So we weren't... The thing of it was, is we had this match so meticulously planned that we didn't make too many mistakes. But... Every mistake we made was, like, obvious because it took us a second to, like, recalibrate our heads and get back into the moment, right? So if, like, if like we whiffed on a, on a hip toss or something, we kind of just, like, froze for a half second. You know, we lost the flow of what we were supposed to do. So not the best showing, I'm sure. Uh, this wasn't, you know, this is not a, uh, a six-star Dave Meltzer classic. This is, this is probably a... Uh, Half a star affair. Not not taking into account the ending yet. So uh, we get to that uh, time where I'm supposed to where I'm supposed to do this uh, spectacular move, which it's it's kind of kind of my trademark in anything I do because I don't have any sort of confidence in my ability or my talent or my charisma. <laughs> where uh, rather than shine. As a performer, or as a even as a writer or a podcaster, instead of shining in my talent and charisma, I try to make myself useful by being useful. So the things that nobody else wants to do, I'll do. Uh, if I'm part of a project where you know we're re- where we're reviewing books and we get to a book where no one wants to review it, I will be the one to say I'll do it because I want to appear useful. Um, Back to the backyard wrestling days. If we wanted a big move that had somebody getting thrown off a, a raised patio, okay, throw me off the raised patio. If uh, if someone had to have uh, you know a bottle of water, a bottle smashed over their head, it's like okay, smash the bottle over my head because I needed to. I that's the only way I thought I could stand out. 
which you know takes us into this match here where I was so willing to do this stupid jump off of this vent thing back into the ring I uh, I thought that I wouldn't be able to excel any other way than by doing something that that other people might not be as willing to do and uh, really that just speaks to my inferiority which is still a thing very much so uh, so we get to that that moment in time where I'm going to spring from the ropes to this uh, to this vent box and uh, I'm gonna basically I'm gonna jump there grab onto it with my fingers so I'm gonna catch myself with my fingers you know crooked over and then I'm gonna pull myself up launch myself back into the ring now I was wearing workout gloves because uh, wrestling costumes back then were very very makeshift <laughs> It was, like I said earlier, it's like some dude in a motocross outfit. I basically had, it was just a makeshift outfit. And I had these these weightlifting gloves, which were really cool. I still probably got them in the garage somewhere. They were like leather up until like the first knuckle. And then it was like mesh up like to the second knuckle. And then the top tops of the fingers were open. Um, I'd never tried doing this wearing those gloves. And uh, so... We get to it. I jump from the uh, top to this vent shaft, and I guess I did it a little too... I jumped a little too hard. I jumped with a little bit too much momentum because my legs, instead of, like, just my legs pointing towards the ground, when I caught myself, my legs swung all the way up. So it was like I was laying flat, and my I think my feet even hit the roof. And I was wearing these very sweaty leather gloves. So my grip let go, and I went right down on my back. Uh, fell, I fell, like I said, it was probably about 10 feet. And I was, uh, the lights went out. I was done. <laughs> I don't remember much. Um, but yeah, I, I, I remember a thud and nothing. And... Uh, and then I remember being like on all fours, and then I remember being behind a curtain in the corner of this uh, makeshift arena slash storage facility, and I was just like out, didn't know what was going on, didn't didn't know where I was, and uh, yeah, I I still I, my I, my neck hurt a lot. That's what I can remember, I was kind of shocked that the rest of my body didn't hurt so much, but my neck, and I still feel it today. Um, there are times where I'll wake up with that same sort of, like a duller version of that pain in my neck. And this is, you know, 20 years ago. So very stupid move. Very dumb move. I shouldn't have done it. Um, but I wanted to stand out. And that was the only way I knew how to do it was by doing something stupid. So if you get anything out of this, don't do stupid things to stand out. Just be yourself and <laughs> and everything will turn out fine. Um, worst part about this, besides the uh, 20 years of neck pain, was that I was driving a bunch of people home that night. <laughs> I had agreed to drive people home. And so I had to drive to three different places in the Phoenix metropolitan area, making my, you know, hour and a half, two hour drive home, more like a three and a half hour, four hour drive home, uh, popping throughout all sorts of neighborhoods and, uh, adding insult to injury, my pay for the night. 
And this is uh, the only time I ever got pay for a professional wrestling match. My pay was a coupon for a free Grand Slam breakfast at Denny's. So I, I could have been paralyzed. I could have been dead. I could have uh, really... I, I did hurt myself, but I could have hurt myself much, much more. And I did it willingly for a free breakfast, a free Grand Slam breakfast at Denny's. I drove home. I drove. I dropped off the other guys. I got to my neighborhood and I stopped at Denny's to buy my Grand Slam breakfast. And I bought a. I ordered a lumberjack slam breakfast. You know, the Grand Slam breakfast was like five dollars. Uh, the Grand Sl- the lumberjack slam breakfast was like seven ninety nine because it came with a slice of ham or some crap. Only to find out that my coupon wasn't good for a lumberjack slam breakfast. So at the end of the night, I. Had uh, I had spent money I had to pay for that breakfast <laughs> And it was around that time uh, It was kind of a lucky thing Because the next time we got in touch with the promoter He, uh, he wanted to go to Southern California And by then I'd already started dating the, uh, the woman who I would eventually marry and I was working, and I was—I uh, think I was—I think I was in line for promotion uh, as a uh, supervisor. So I decided that I was just—I I wasn't going to be going to Southern California for you know a for another Denny's coupon and uh, and for another you know crick in my neck. Um, so that was uh, that was it. I stopped cold turkey uh, wrestling. That was my my illustrious career. It was like. Five or six matches <laughs> um, over the course of uh, six months to maybe maybe a year ish, uh, where I almost broke my neck. I was almost uh, I was almost uh, in a very uncomfortable position in a in a weird motel. Uh, just not a whole lot uh, of shining memories as a uh, as a professional wrestler, and and you know worst of all, I'm probably not going to be inducted into any Hall of Fame for it. So it is what it is. Um, but uh, if you get anything out of this story, don't be desperate. <laughs> don't do stupid things. Don't hurt yourself. Um, I, I like to think that everybody is talented in their own way. And uh, if you have, if you have the confidence in your uh, in your passion and in your abilities, you don't need to do stupid things to stand out. Um, not a piece of advice I've taken, even to this very day, where I will do the. I will do the gigs that nobody wants to do just because I want to appear to be useful in some sort of way. Um, but uh, you know, people listening, you're you're better than that. <laughs> you're you're better than you're better than that. So just be you. Um, yeah, that is uh, my life and times as a professional wrestler. And uh, we'll hop over to the horns now and come back with another. Story of a professional wrestler We're going to talk about Big Daddy Danger Big Daddy Danger Number 1 Cover dated October 2002 Created, written, and drawn by Adam Polina With inks by Tyson McAdoo Or McAdoo It's a fun name to say Colors and Separations by Thomas Chu Associate Editor Ivan Cohen 
edits my Carlin cover price, $2.95. Now, we open during the introductions for tonight's main event. For this night, the mass sensation Big Daddy Danger defends his title against Der Meat Maker, who looks uh, to have gotten some uh, cranial tattoos since he last boxed Bugs Bunny. He looks a lot like the, the one who fought Bugs Bunny in one of those old cartoons. Now, it's a packed house with uh, one very special spectator. Now, this is Big Daddy's son, the who's also wearing a luchador mask, is Danny Danger. Now, you might not know it, but I think this issue had Adam Polina involved in it in some sort of way. His name is huge in the credits here. I mean, is this is unapologetically Adam Polinish. Uh, now, after witnessing a smattering of what maneuvers including a power bomb and an ankle lock, we shift scenes to the mayor of Big City, as he and his young daughter are being driven somewhere. Now, their trip is ill-fated as they're soon ambushed by a pair of lady wrestlers. This is Shanghai Susie and the women's world champion, Lady 80. They noink the mayor from his limo, and, they, and their handler drives away with the mayor's daughter. Back at the arena, Big Daddy Danger emerges victorious in his title defense to the adulation of the crowd. An in-ring interview is conducted where Big Daddy does his babyface best to engage the crowd. Standing next to him is his manager, who suddenly gets a ticker tape SOS via his ticker tape cane. We'll just go with it. This informs him that the mayor has been kidnapped. Now it's time for Big Daddy to go to work, which vexes young Danny Danger somewhat. Now this next bit is pretty great. Big Daddy heads back to the showers to get cleaned up, and uh, he... He wears a luchador mask as a professional wrestler. He removes this mask, which reveals a second mask. So he pulls off his blue mask. Under it is a gray mask. So his superhero costume is just a different color mask, which I think that's pretty cute. And so our hero emerges from the dressing room. Uh, now, despite his son's protests, uh, the tot's got a wrestling meet of his own tomorrow. He heads off to the daddy mobile in order to save the world, or, you know, the mayor of Big City. It isn't long before Big Daddy catches up with the kidnapping convoy. Now, to be honest here, these baddies might be a little bit overarmed if their most likely foil is a professional wrestler. I mean, they've got cannons, gatling guns, a whole lot of stuff. There, there are even nukes involved here. So Big Daddy Danger gets right into the thick of things and actually runs the van off the side of a cliff where it explodes. And this isn't just like a normal, you know, Car exploding boom This this one actually results in a gigantic mushroom cloud So there, were, there was almost definitely some, some nukes in there Now Big Daddy pulls close to the mayor's limousine And hops onto the roof Here he runs into Shanghai Susie Who informs him that he's now dealing with the Mamazons Ugh. The grapplers engage in some catch-as-catch-can hijinks Which quickly ends when Big Daddy body scissors Susie off the lid of the limo Big Daddy then proceeds to yoink the driver out via the limo's moonroof and then commandeers the vehicle for himself. Meanwhile, we jump over to Dayfield High School where Danny Danger is in the midst of his wrestling meet. So, uh, I, I, I guess it's already tomorrow? I, I don't know how long Big Daddy's been fighting the Mamazons, but I guess we'll just let it slide. Uh, we're not gonna, you know, let something like pacing get in the way. We'll just pop in and see what Danny's doing here. Now, he's clearly wrestling outside his weight class, which is uh, something that his high school probably shouldn't be allowing. 
Uh, I guess to be fair, though, Danny might just be the most pocket-sized high school student ever entered into the system besides me. Uh, he would have to wrestle grade schoolers in order to have an adequate appro- or appropriate opponent. So we'll just roll with it. Now, he handily takes care of his oversized opponent, hitting him with a hurricane rana and then cinching on an ankle lock, which are uh, both totally legal in an amateur bout, right? Uh, now, among the cheering crowd, Danny sees a large figure who he, is, he assumes is his big daddy, and he's very happy to see him there. Meanwhile, back on the road, well, Big Daddy Danger is not at the wrestling meet. He's still here, and he gives the mayor's daughter her first driving lesson. He instructs her to keep her foot on the gas as he mounts the hood so that he may jump onto the Mamazon's departing jet. So yes, uh, the daughter is going to floor it so our hero can leap from the roof of this limousine to the jet. I don't know if he gave any thought to what would happen after he jumps off the jet. Like, is this is this girl just going to keep driving like into the lake or into a wall? I, I don't know if we're supposed to think about that. Anyway... He does just that. He leaps onto the jet's landing gear, and he pulls himself up to the wing, and here he finds himself at the feet of Lady 80. After a brief tussle, the women's world champion gets hip-tossed to certain death. If only she hadn't brought her parachute. Big Daddy Danger rescues the mayor and reunites him with his daughter, so I guess she didn't drive right into a wall. So seeing this touching family moment, Big Daddy's reminded that, oh yeah, I've got a kid too, maybe I should check in on him. And so he does just that. He calls his son, who is super happy to hear from him. But during this conversation, the boy learns that Big Daddy wasn't that lumbering luchador he saw at the wrestling meet, and his demeanor immediately changes. He tells his father he hates him and slams the phone on the uh, receiver there, which is a Big Daddy Danger phone, which is pretty cool. Now we wrap up this issue with Big Daddy Danger entering his mask shrine to speak with his fathers. So this is like a lineage of Big Daddies, I guess. Uh, while, at the very same time, that other masked man that we saw at the, uh, at the high school meet, he meets up with the Mamazons. And we learn that he is none other than Big Uncle Danger, which is to say, Big Daddy's brother. <laughs> Now, when I first found this issue, uh, which I owned forever, I think, I, I don't know if I, I, I just didn't ever read it. I, <laughs> I had the thing, um, and I finally decided to read it for the blog, uh, just as a weird little story, you know. I don't know if I really expected what, what I expected going into it, um, because it had fallen off my radar. Uh, I'd almost, I'd forgotten it was even a thing, and... That's weird for me because I'm generally very obsessive and uh, I have a, have a fairly decent memory. I, I, I guess I just forgot about it. Uh, <laughs> also, you just don't ever hear anything about this series. Uh, this is just a series that popped in for, I think it was nine issues, and then just popped out. You know, I'd, I don't know if this was in DC continuity. I don't know if Adam Polina owns it. I don't, know if, I don't even know if Adam Polina is still doing comics anymore. I, I can't answer any of those questions. So, uh, we probably should just tackle the only question that we can, and, uh, was this issue any good? Is it worth reading? Is it something you should, uh, spend time with? I guess. Yeah, it wasn't half bad. <laughs> uh, the art and the action were, were really fun. It was really fun stuff here. Uh, this is almost like a, uh, like a Chuck Jones-esque style here, like a Looney Tunes style. Um, Adam Polina really shows versatility 
You know, it's I compared it on the blog to Looney Tunes meets manga, which I mean, it's a really good thing to see. It's really clean. It's really nice to see. It's cartoony. It's also very comic booky. It's really good. Now the story maybe a little bit lacking. The story and the dialogue. Uh, I, yeah, I get where he's going here, and in its distilled form, the actual story isn't bad. Um, it's just high action, super crazy, uh, explosions, vehicle leaping, cartoony violence. Eh, nothing wrong with that, right? The dialogue's a bit stilted, but I, I, you know, this is a this is almost like a parody of a story in a way. It's it's overblown. Um, the pacing, as mentioned during the synopsis, was kind of all over the place. Uh, the wrestling meet that was going to happen tomorrow was actually happening the same time as Big Daddy taking care of business. Uh, it's daytime for Danny, it's nighttime for Daddy, but it's the same time. I know Polina has a has a has more of a pedigree as an artist. I don't know if, how much he's written outside of this, uh, so this might even be his first uh, script, you know. And if that's the case. I, I guess it's a good enough outing. Not like I'm one to talk. Uh, my my writing is <laughs> my writing so bad nobody's ever seen it. Um, now the twist ending was kind of engaging, I guess, uh, though not something that would be overly surprising. Uh, I have never read past this issue, which might <laughs> tell you something about how much uh, how, how much this uh, twist ending moved me. Uh, I did appreciate some of the uh, professional wrestling lingo being interjected here. Uh, Polina put words like slobberknocker in the story, which tells me he's probably a a pretty big fan of uh, wrestling himself. Even down to the movesets, we see actual wrestling maneuvers here, which is is really cool to see. Um, Polina, he was actually part of an aborted project, which would have been a crossover between Marvel Comics and World Championship Wrestling, WCW. Uh, Over at the blog, I, I... Included a concept art piece, which featured um, the Incredible Hulk versus Hulk Hogan. Uh, maybe the maybe over the rights for the name, I don't know. But uh, there is a, a great post on uh, WCW Worldwide, uh, a blog that I'll link to in the show notes here, which tells the full Marvel versus WCW story and and how it uh, how it almost came to be, but overall did not, um, or at the end of the day did not. There's no overall about it. Um, I guess if you are a fan of Adam Polina or of professional wrestling, this is something you'll probably want in your collection. Otherwise, uh, this episode might might just do it. might just put you over. You know, this might just do it for you. You might not need to uh, to track it down. But yeah, uh, you know, the art is a lot of fun. The story, for what it is, is pretty fun. Um, if you want to see pro wrestling maneuvers being you know drawn in the, in the bombastic. Looney Tunes slash manga style. This is probably something you're going to want to check out. But uh, I guess uh, this is definitely one of those more niche titles where the mileage will will definitely vary depending on uh, on your tastes and your interests. Alrighty, now before we get out of here and I let you get on with the rest of your day, I do want to uh, cover a few pieces of uh, mail I got this past week here. Uh, in light of the most recent episode where we discussed uh, that issue of Batman with uh, with Harold, and I uh, discussed the Diaper Man and uh, the Saville Skate Rats and <laughs> all that fun stuff here. Um, the first message camp comes from uh, Chris Yu. 
and he says, Just listen to your latest podcast. Glad to hear you back with new material. I'm a latecomer to your podcasting, so I was never a patron of your show. However, I would love to get one of those cosmic treadmill pins. I don't know why, it just seems like a cool thing to have. I can add it to my old collection of Marvel and DC pins from the 80s and 90s. And uh, yes, Chris, I will be sending that to you um, just as soon as I can. Uh, I am under a, uh, a little bit of a quarantine situation right now. Uh, like a legit quarantine situation right now. So I will get that to you just as soon as I can. Uh, thank you for expressing interest in that. Uh, it means a lot that uh, that you'd want to have uh, one of those pins. I've got tons of them, so <laughs> if anybody else wants one of those pins, uh, just uh, you know, hit me up. Uh, weirdcomicshistory@gmail.com or on Twitter at Ace Comics, and and I'll get one out to you just as soon as I can. Um, Chris continues saying, uh, I hope you can get your issues with Blogger worked out because I really miss those old school comic reviews. I'm currently working my way through the blog from post one day by day. I usually get to read about a month's worth of posts in a week or so. I'm currently up to July 12th, 2016, so I have a long way to go to reach when I first started reading your blog daily, which was at the start of the Action Comics Weekly Project. I've been thoroughly enjoying the formerly exclusive Patreon Comics Talk segments. They really feel like conversations I would have at my old comic shop. Well, thank you so much, Chris. And, uh, and again, I apologize I haven't gotten that pin out to you just yet, but uh, I will get that to you just as soon as I can. Uh, I did discuss my problems with Blogger last week, uh, where it's uh, not letting me batch upload images anymore. Uh, because uh, I tell you what, I really miss doing those old uh, those old school reviews uh, back like I used to do. Um, every day, uh, I think about maybe just grinning, bearing it, and trying to get one out. Um, but I just get so annoyed with the new blogger format. And uh, the fact that I can't get any help from blogger support. Anytime I try to talk to blogger support, I find that my post uh, somehow breaks uh, community guidelines by just asking for help. Um, and anytime my posts actually do go through, I get a, a platinum product expert telling me to, to disable third-party applications, which I'm not using. I, uh, I really don't know. I... I they are doing a, uh, a like a transition right now from the same old blogger that I've you know been using for like a dozen years at this point to something that looks more appy, <laughs> for lack of a better term. Uh, it looks like an app. It's like a lot, very bubbly. Uh, looks like something that would go really well on a like a touchscreen, uh, you know, phone or tablet. But uh, doing it on a laptop like I always do, it's it, it's not as user-friendly as the old version, and uh, unfortunately the old legacy version, which I had to jump through a few hoops to get back to, is going to be gone completely in the middle of August. So hopefully that doesn't mark the end of everything, because uh, I've tried just a couple days ago, I tried using the new service, and it wouldn't let me uh, put HTML in it. It wouldn't let me move a picture that I inserted, so I couldn't drag a picture to where I wanted it. It's a real disaster. And again, I am, I'm pretty dense when it comes to computers, so maybe this is my fault. I don't know. Um, also, the uh, Comics Talk segments, thank you for uh, checking those out. Uh, those are very special to me because uh, it wasn't often that Reggie and I would go off script and just kind of shoot from the hip. Uh, we, uh, we kind of... I don't want to say we held ourselves to a different standard, because that sounds elitist and, and jerky, but uh, 
we liked having everything in place. I think uh, while Reggie had much more of a talent for off-the-cuff discussion and not jammering and jabbering like I do, I mean, I've been talking for an hour and 15 minutes at this point, and I'm sure if I were to get rid of the ums and the uhs and the ands, I'd have like eight minutes of audio. You know, it's just the way I, uh, just the way I talk, and uh, it uh, translates to to the audio expression, I suppose. But uh, those uh, comics talks, there, easy for me to say. Those comics talk episodes were uh, very special because it let us, it let us just talk. Um, and I don't want to, I don't want it to sound like we. We were just going to give the patrons a lesser product, but I, I think we wanted to show them a different side of us. We wanted to show them some of our more, uh, you know, I, I don't want to say visceral feelings, but our more non-material-based uh, opinion, or actually just opinions, you know? We, we did editorialize from time to time during the treadmill and Weird Comics history, but this was our first, you know, indulgence in... Purely editorializing and actually saying what we don't like and what we do like and and naming names and naming gimmicks and just really uh, letting us letting us uh, show people what we uh, what we thought of uh, of certain things that were in the going on in the business and I'm so happy to share those with a a wider audience now um, on the main feed. Um, so if you've been sleeping on those episodes, because those episodes they're not they're they're not as popular as I was hoping they'd be. Uh, so if you are sleeping on those and you'd like to, you know, get some Chris and Reggie off the cuff, uh, definitely give them give one of them a try, because those were a lot of fun to do. Uh, they were effortless. They were just, uh, and I don't mean that in in like a we didn't try sort of way, because a lot of that we did have a lot of uh, cit- citations and, and and notes that we referred to during those, but uh, the conversation just took us. Uh, to the point where we'd be talking so much, we'd have to actually stop ourselves. We'd have to reel ourselves in and be like, well, you know, we'll, maybe we'll cover this the next time. You know, maybe we'll, we'll go deeper the next time. And uh, I, I kind of hate that we did that now. But at the time, it just felt like, you know, the sky was the limit for what we could discuss. And uh, that comics talk is very, very special. And there are 13 episodes total. Uh, as of this recording, there are 11 on the main feed, with two more to come. Uh, number 12 will come this Sunday, and then the final episode, 13, will come next Sunday, which is, uh, I think, the second Sunday in August. From there, I will be uh, re-uploading uh, some of the Cosmic Treadmill After Darks from the Patreon. Um, those are things that only a handful of people have heard, and these are full-blown Cosmic Treadmill episodes, so if you've been missing Cosmic Treadmill, uh, like I have, um, you'll be able to... There's four more uh, full-blown Cosmic Treadmills that you'll be hearing that you've probably never heard before. And after those four are done, there will be the special final 150th episode of the Cosmic Treadmill, which is going to be a, a very special recording that uh, Reggie and I did uh, a very, very long time ago. And I'm looking forward to sharing that with everybody. Uh, we're going to... We sound so young. <laughs> it's silly to say, but we sound we sound so young. Um, but thank you so much, Chris. And again, that pin will be headed your way just as soon as I can uh, get back outside. Uh, next piece of mail comes from our good friend Jeremiah, our good friend and partner, Jeremiah. 
He says, I was so glad to see a new episode of the show pop up last week. It was a wonderful episode. It was nice to hear you talk about your relationship with Reggie now that some time has passed. I thought you did a nice job talking about the treadmill and what it meant to you. I'm looking forward to that unpublished episode you mentioned. He continues and says, if you wind up, if you end up doing a Reggie tribute episode, and I think that is a wonderful idea, I'd love to be a part of it. Personally, I'd love to share a memory or two and uh, would very much like to hear what other fans would share. I think that would be amazing. Any format you went with would work, of course, but I think you should just go for broke and whomever wanted to share something, whether it be recorded audio, speaking with me, or speaking with you, and or writing something would be of value to the listeners and fans of you and Reggie. I hope you do end up doing something, because I think it would be a great celebration of Reggie and your time together. And I agree. I agree. I, uh, I definitely would like to do that, especially now that a little bit of time has passed. And, uh, and we'll... I, I don't want to say that we can get through stories without breaking down, because it's very likely that I will break down during some stories, but uh, I think now that there's a little bit of time uh, between, you know, between then and now, it'll be, uh, I think it'll be easier to do, and I think it'll be more appropriate, um, because uh, one thing Reggie and I were not was uh, sensationalists and provocateurs, and... Uh, I, I, I didn't want it to... I, I, I had ideas about doing tributes earlier, uh, but I didn't want it to look as though I was exploiting what had happened, which sounds so stupid, and it's something that I shouldn't worry about, but I do. Um, because to me and to many of us, uh, Reggie was more than just a, a, a booming baritone voice, you know? And uh, to I, I think time needed to pass for before... Before we truly engage in putting the pieces together for a tribute And I still have uh, a lot of thoughts as to what I'm going to do And if you do want to be a part of it If anybody wants to be a part of this Whether audio or just writing something that I'll read Please reach out um, And uh, we'll we'll get this thing going Um, Still not sure the format it'll take Like I said, I've been brainstorming ideas This this summer... um, and this was something I, I, I neglected to mention last last time. Uh, I took this summer off from school for a few reasons. Um, first, uh, the wife and I were supposed to travel. We were supposed to travel to quite a few places this summer. Um, we were going to be going to Chicago. We were going to be going to the Seattle area. We were going to be going to... Uh, we were going to try to go up to uh, Newfoundland, um, which... I was going to surprise uh, my friend Chris Bailey <laughs> and tell him, hey, next week we're going to be in Newfoundland. But uh, we, uh, of course, with everything going on, that was just not to be. Another uh, reason why I was happy that I was going to be uh, taking the summer off from school is that uh, Reggie and I were going to be really hitting the recordings hard. We were going to be, uh, we were going to be getting a lot of stuff done, a lot of stuff recorded and ready to go. And uh, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be interning pretty soon uh, for work And uh, for school, actually For school slash work, I guess uh, So time was going to be a premium, uh, eventually So I wanted to make sure we had as much down uh, on, uh, you know, in, in audio as possible And a few of the things we were considering uh, The first thing we were going to do was going to We were going to do an off-the-cuff discussion um 
And another thing I neglected to mention last time, uh, the two most recent episodes of Chris's Uninfinite Earths before I came back, it was the Leonard the Duck and the Crimson Avenger, which were different in tone than the usual stuff. Like, I'm not going to tell you a full-blown personal anecdote. You know, this was more material-based. And the reason I did that was because that was sort of a pilot for what the Cosmic Treadmill was going to become. It was going to be more off-the-cuff, but still material-based, where we were going to take the form of... uh, Actually, you know, we we talked about wrestling today. It was going to be kind of like wrestling commentary, where I was going to be the one calling the moves. I was going to be the one dropping the facts and the dates and the numbers and the names. And Reggie was going to provide color. So he was going to, you know, go into anecdotes and and, uh, and stories, and we were just going to play off of each other in that way because, uh, you know, Reggie had trouble with uh, reading following the stroke. So I was going to handle all of that. I was going to handle the material. So I'd do all the research and the script writing and the note-taking, and, uh, and Reggie would do color. You know, he would add color, and, you know, until the time where his reading came back, because his reading was coming back, uh, which is, you know, uh, tragic in, 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 in so many different ways. Everything was looking, everything was looking good uh, before, uh, you know, before. So that was the, the, like, the Leonard the Duck and the Crimson Avenger episodes were kind of a pilot for what the Cosmic Treadmill was going to become. As a as a show moving forward for at least the interim, so uh, we were going to do a discussion about Proto Vertigo, which is the uh, DC titles before they became branded as Vertigo in in what January '93 cover date. So we'd be talking about uh, Doom Patrol and uh, Constantine, uh, Hellblazer, uh, Swamp Thing, Shade the Changing Man, Animal Man. We were just going to talk about those DC titles, Sandman, you know, we were going to talk about those DC titles before they were officially branded as Vertigo, which is a very special time uh, for both of us. We, uh, we enjoy those stories quite a bit. Another thing we were going to do that we were both very excited about was a redo of our very first episode of Weird Comics History. We were going to discuss the, uh, the DC implosion, explosion era now that we're, you know, we didn't have, we wouldn't have a time limit, and there's just so much more information about it out there, thanks to you know the folks at Tomorrows and many other uh, folks, uh, who, bloggers who remember the time, uh, who were able to reflect on the time, or just people who have studied the time. So that was going to be like our next big project. Um, so maybe if we do a tribute episode, um, maybe it'll take the form of. Of maybe a, a revisit to the to the implosion explosion era where maybe I just have a bunch of people on talking about their various memories or what they know about the explosion implosion area while interjecting uh, remembrances um, and words and thoughts uh, about Reggie. I you know I don't know. This is all just this is all just stuff that I'm I'm brainstorming and I'm I'm and I'm literally just brainstorming on the air right now. You're you're hearing very very raw thoughts right now. But uh let's go back to Jeremiah's mail here so I can finally let you guys get on with your day. He says here, I also wanted to write about my own urban legends. Not something I asked about last time uh, when I talked about the diaper man and the skate rats. 
the one memory I have is a true urban legend, uh, as a true urban legend, is that I can remember being at camp and hearing a story about how Rod Stewart had to have his stomach pumped because he swallowed too much of something that is not normally ingested. Now, <laughs> that was uh, definitely a story that went around the playground. Uh, there was also one about Richard Gere, who uh, might have had a, a different end pumped. Um, uh, he says, years later, I can remember seeing something about that story on pop-up video or something like that and thinking, hey, I heard that story when I was a kid. I know it's not exactly the boogeyman, but it is an urban legend that I experienced firsthand. He continues, when I was in elementary and middle school in the early 80s, stranger danger was a big deal. We talk about it in all our classes and had assemblies where people like the police would come and tell us how to stay safe. Of course, since there was plenty of fear being drilled into us, we all knew someone who knew someone who had been hurt. Or there was a guy who lived over on the other side of town whose street you needed to avoid, that sort of thing. Those stories are not what I wanted to write about, though. Uh, now, that's, those are definitely stories that we heard, for sure. Uh, now, Jeremiah continues, You talked about that magic of youth where stories are shared and kids get wrapped up in them. And I do have some of those stories. After my father no longer had a pulpit, both of my parents were ministers, he went to work for the church board, and specifically he ran the camp division. The Methodist Church and the New York Conference owned three camps, two in upstate New York and one on Shelter Island at the tip of Long Island. My brother and I spent a good part of our summers either as campers or, if our dad was on staff, just hanging around at the camps. These were sleepaway camps, uh, with, with kids of all ages mixed together for various activities. When I was still young, again, elementary slash middle school, one of the best things about hanging out with the, other, the older kids was that they'd seen all kinds of movies that we couldn't. Things like horror movies, teen sex comedies, that sort of thing. At night, we'd listen to older campers tell stories about those movies. I can remember one summer where every night after we went to bed, there was a guy in our room who loved horror movies, and he would go through the entire synopsis of a movie each night. He told us all about Fright Night one night, another night Halloween. He was a great storyteller, and we were enthralled. The next day, we would share the stories with the other campers. It was wonderful. Another summer, we were with some kids who had seen Eddie Murphy's Raw and Delirious, and they shared all the best jokes with us. Us younger kids would laugh and laugh, even though we were too young to truly get it. Then we'd go and retell the same jokes as the best we could to our friends, and our friends would laugh, even though they didn't get it either. The point is, those were wonderful times where we were open to the endless possibilities that our friends might share with us, not too dissimilar to the sharing of the local boogeyman legend with the new kid in class. So, awesome email, Jeremiah. Thank you so much. And uh, I apologize for not replying. I just wanted to read it here. <laughs> I hope you don't mind. Um, yeah, that, that, that wonder is... Uh, yeah, it's... It's weird. You think about all the limitations you had as a child. You know, uh, you had a curfew. You couldn't go out past, you know, lights on. You know, you, you. But at the same time, there was just there was this weird romance to being open to those possibilities. That just you're gonna learn something. You know, you're gonna always learn something weird. And the, there was everything was endless. And, and it's just such a it's such a weird thing to think about because. On one level, it's the most sheltered you're going to be, but on another level, it's like the most open you're going to be. Uh, you, cynicism hasn't set in yet. Um, whereas now, you know, I'd like to believe in a lot of things. You know, I'd like to believe that that there's more to this than, than what we can see. And uh, 
unfortunately, I got 40 years under my belt that tells me otherwise. Uh, so it's it's hard for me to uh, it's hard for me to let go. Um, if you've if you're online as much as I am, and you might be these days because uh, because these are very strange times, you might have found you might be familiar with things like alternate reality games, the ARGs. I mean, those are kind of like the new urban legends now because you'd hear you hear stories about uh, the the like the 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 phenomenal in the mundane, you know, uh, and I think those are really interesting ways to capture imagination. Things like uh, creepy pastas, uh, the the one that you know always springs to mind is that that Candle Cove story. If you've heard that one, it's it's a very interesting story. And when you get to the end of it, you're so wrapped up in it, or at least I was, that the twist kind of comes out of nowhere because you can relate to the story so well, um, especially folks of uh, of my vintage. I think. Um, this uh, story has to do with a uh, with a TV show that uh, that only like kids of a certain generation can remember, and that's one thing that always freaked me out as a kid was uh, things like that second dial on the TV. You know, we, when you have the dial TV that goes up to like channel thirteen and then the U, and then you have that dial underneath it that goes up to like sixty four. With it, but it's like a much smaller numbers, and you can click through all the things. And sometimes, usually on a very strange evening, <laughs> with bad weather outside, you might find something on channel like thirty-eight, and it's something you've never seen before, and it's something you don't think you should be seeing because those channels very rarely came in. And uh, I, I think a lot of folks my age and maybe a little older, maybe a little younger too. Uh, have have interesting memories of flipping through the UHF channels and finding something that you shouldn't shouldn't be able to see, something weird, something that really just gets gets under your skin, and uh, that's I think that's why uh, I think that's why so many people lose themselves in these sort of urban legend stories now. Things like things like creepy pastas and uh, and exploring man- Mandela effects and all that all that stuff that we uh, <laughs> we spend our time and effort on online these days when we don't have anything important to do but uh, I think I think that's all the time I'll take from you today uh, I do want to thank you so so much for uh, for listening if you would like to get a hold of me you could do so at weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com or at ace comics on Twitter love to hear your stories your urban legends your uh, if you, maybe you were a professional wrestler at some time, uh, or maybe you just love wrestling, or maybe you hate wrestling. Maybe you think people who like wrestling are dumb, uh, and maybe I just proved that to you by uh, tell, talking to you about it for 90 minutes. But uh, I'd love to hear from you. I'm a very lonely man. So uh, weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com, Ace Comics on Twitter. You can find me at chrisisoninfiniteearth.com. Uh, Moratory Mondays every Monday, uh, Comics Talk for the next two Sundays, followed by some Cosmic Treadmill after docs. And, uh, yeah, I think that's all I've got. So, one last time, thank you so, so much for hanging out. I really, really, really appreciate it. Uh, till next time, I will, uh, talk to you again real soon. See ya. See ya.